Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. So glad you could join us on Live with Doug here as we are thinking through God's Word together, continuing our study of Paul's letter to the Romans. Hey, child of Elohim. Good morning, Caitlin. Good morning, Edgar and Lewis and Megan. Ken, hope you can make it back. Great to have all of you as we today talk about something that uh, might be a little bit convicting, maybe a lot bit convicting. So we're going to spend one more session here on this uh, weaker brother, stronger brother, but not really talking about that per se. We've covered that pretty well. But I want to look at a few other things that Paul has said in this context and make sure that we have a good handle on it. Now, uh, someone asked the question uh, the other day. Let me pull it up here. Where'd it go? Uh, here it is. Uh, Elizabeth S4371 uh, says, ask this question. If a, quote, weaker brother eats meat offered to idols because a stronger brother is also eating and initially feels guilty, but then persuades himself that it was okay, yet still wrestles with lingering doubt until he eventually gets to the point where eating forbidden foods are no longer an issue, does not mean that he has spiritually matured or that his conscience is seared over? That's a really good question, right? And then uh, she adds, and how does one discern the difference? I must confess, I, I read it too fast and I put a little response to her uh, on the on uh, YouTube, and I want to spend a little bit more time developing this because there are really two points here worth making, I think, from this question. So number one, you you see the setting, right? You've got someone who is in the presence of the stronger brother, and the weaker brother thinks I shouldn't be eating this, but he's eating it. I'm going to eat it. And the question is, has that person truly been persuaded? And I think the way the uh, question is presented is no. If there's still a hint of guilt, if there's any hesitance in this man's mind about eating, he shouldn't eat because he's not eating of faith. Remember, we talked about that yesterday. He does not have the belief. He's not convinced that it's okay. He's doing it. Again, based on the question, how it's presented, he's doing it out of you know, peer pressure. He's doing it out of uh, uh, who knows what, but, the, but it's not a freedom to eat this food. And I think Paul will say, as we looked at yesterday, that is sin to him. He's got to be fully convinced. Otherwise... He is training his conscience to disregard those feelings of hesitance. And that leads to, as she described here, a seared conscience. If you know something is right and you keep on doing the opposite or you know something is wrong and you keep doing it anyway, you are training your conscience to disregard that sense of guilt or shame or uh, wrongdoing and you train it 
to sin, to be okay with sin. If you, when you were an unbeliever, if you lived a life of wanton sin, for instance, uh, sexual immorality, even an unbeliever knows it's wrong. But you convince yourself that it's okay. You shut down those feelings of guilt and that conscience becomes seared and you no longer hear the noise. Um, I make fun of my... Uh, my wife all the time about this. Uh, we have timers, you know, she'll, she'll set a kitchen timer or two or three <laughs> when it's uh, food uh, being warmed up or something in the microwave or something on her phone these days. And there'll be all these buzzers going off. And occasionally I will go get her and say, hey, the, the oven timer's been going off for <laughs> five or 10 minutes. Is it okay? And, and what we do is we train or we set all these reminders, all these pop-ups on our phone, all these timers and buzzers going off. But if we don't react to them, we can sort of create a deafness to them. And then the food gets burned. So this warning buzzer that was intended to tell you, okay, go take the uh, food out of the oven, doesn't work because you've learned to ignore it. You stop hearing the buzzer. Well, we do the same thing with our conscience. If your conscience says, I shouldn't be doing this, then you must not do it. If you do, it's sin, and you could be training yourself to ignore it. So the stakes are high, as I said yesterday. Now, the second part is, how do we discern the difference? This leads into something that I want to look at here. Paul says in chapter 14, verse 5, One judges a day above another, and another judges every day alike. And notice this line here. Let each one be fully assured in his own mind. Now, remember how this whole section started back in chapter 12. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can test God's will, to test and see what is approved by God, what is acceptable to God. And it starts with our thinking. So how do we discern the difference? How do we train our conscience as well? It starts with thinking. And I'm persuaded that Christians are not taught how to think very well. This is another reason that I continue to push against the idea of reading the writings of men. Because frankly, in my experience, my observation is that we think, we have been told that renewing our mind is to read Packer and Piper and Sproul and Calvin and whoever, you know, whoever's on the list of these giants of the faith. And that's training the mind to think. It's not training the mind to think, it's training our minds to adopt these experts. We have, we've put people in this category of experts of the forefathers, of the great men, and we just read them and we assimilate what they've been saying. And it, it, it's now this becomes the test of good thinking. No, no. Renewing your mind means to slow down and really think these things through, such as, are we required 
to keep the Sabbath? Is there one day that is to be set above another day in our week? And don't go read the writings of men. What has God said? And you are capable. Everyone listening to me is capable of understanding what God has said. But we act out of fear. Fear of being wrong. Fear of what if we're not accepted in this group. Fear of, well, I've been told all my life that I, you know, these are the, the people I'm supposed to listen to. Fear of, I can't understand this because I don't have a PhD in theology and I don't study Greek and so on. Now, the Greek actually does help quite a bit because some of our problems uh, are caused by uh, translations. But you are to be sure in your own mind. Look what he says here. Let each be fully assured in his own mind. Does God want me to set aside one day above all the others? Think it through in your own mind as you think about what God has said through Christ and his apostles. Meat, wine, what has God said? And you need to be convinced. Because whatever is of faith is good. I mean, it may not be. You could still you could have a seared conscience, right? But whatever is not of faith is sin. So we need to we need to practice thinking. We need to set time aside to think these things through and not run to our favorite authors, but to think. Peter says, one thing to consider regarding conscience is that there are those with very sensitive ones that leads to GAD and OCD as they panic that they have to put things right or else. Uh, yeah, that's true. I think the Spirit of God is capable of giving them the self-control to not panic and to trust the Lord and to think and not be controlled by that panic. But yeah, we're, we all have uh, different trials and temptations in this. All right, so what are you free to do? What things make you feel guilty? You need to take the time to think it through before the Lord prayerfully and be assured. At the end of the day, my opinions and someone else's opinions are not the issue. Now, if it's outright sin, where the scripture is clear, these things are sinful, then someone else's, uh, someone, a teacher, for instance, maybe you do want to take their... Uh, uh, admonitions, but you've got to be assured in your own mind. Charlotte Christine says, good morning. In my opinion, reading the writings of men teaches us what to think instead of how to think indoctrination. So often that's the case. So often that's the case. Yes. All right. So let me go on because I want to get to a, another topic here. He who is regarding the day regards it to the Lord. He who is not regarding the day, 
He does not regard it to the Lord. He who is eating, he eats it to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who is not eating, he does not eat to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So you see, he's just spelling out here, both men are doing what they're doing because they want to please the Lord. And they're fully convinced in their mind. One thinks I should set aside a day. One thinks I shouldn't. One says I shouldn't eat those things. The other one says it's okay to eat those things. They're both doing it for the Lord. None of us lives to himself. None dies to himself. For both, if we may live, we live to the Lord. If also we may die, we die to the Lord. Both then, if we may live, also if we may die, we are the Lord's. For because of this, Christ both died and rose again and lived again that he may be Lord both of the dead and the living. And you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, you, why do you set at nothing your brother? See, you are to be fully convinced in your own mind and then don't judge someone who sees it differently. Why, Paul? Why are you saying this? For we will all stand at the judgment seat of the Christ. For it has been written, quote from Isaiah, I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give reckoning to God himself. You and I are not ever going to stand before another human being and give an account. We're going to give an account to God. And I know we discussed this the other day. So let me, let me bring it here to a, a application point for us. Do you realize you are going to stand before the judge. You are going to give an account of your actions and your beliefs and your behaviors and attitudes. You are going to do that. And you're not going to be judged on the books you've read. Jesus is not going to show, uh, hold up a, uh, a list of approved authors, you know, Sproul and Piper and Calvin and Packer and so on and say, have you read these guys? No, I don't think God cares what authors you've read. In this context, the question is, are you fully convinced in your mind about what pleases the Lord? And are you judging those who have a different perspective on these things? That's the context. You're going to stand before the Lord Jesus who knows your heart and your motives and give an account for how you have considered someone who sees this differently from the way you do. Child of Elohim says, so we are not forgiven. Is there a running account? Okay, here's a good exercise for you, child of Elohim. What does it say in this text about forgiveness? Right? Let's put on our thinking caps here. Think carefully. We will all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We will all bow and confess to him. We will give a reckoning to God. Does he say here anything about 
whether or not we've been forgiven. And I don't say that to criticize you, but to help you focus in on what is actually said and ponder what is what is said here and, and also see what's not said here. There is no contradiction between being forgiven and being accountable. We want to please the Lord, right? It helps us pursue righteousness when we realize I'm still going to give an account for my actions. My children, they know I love them. They know that I care about them. When they were younger, for instance, they were not concerned about me abandoning them or throwing them out of the house, anything like that. They knew my love for them. They also did not like it when I was upset. They, they didn't like it when I called them to give an account for something that I had heard them say or do, uh, and, and they knew they were guilty. That didn't mean they were terrified of being thrown out of my, my family. Of course not. But it did motivate them to do the right things, knowing they were going to give an account. Yeah, P.K. Carve says a reckoning, and then what? Does the text say anything here? It doesn't say anything about then what? So don't go there. Just take some time and ponder and think about you standing before the Lord Jesus and he's got a transcript of the thoughts in your head and how you've judged other Christians. And are you ready? Do you want to answer for that? Do you want him to say, so uh, you have a different conviction from this guy about drinking wine. How did you think about your brother there? How did you treat your brother? Right? We, we want to jump to, as, as two of you have here, the then what. But the then what is not here in the text. That's, that's not the point. You're to do some self-examination to see, are you judging someone in a way you shouldn't? And that will motivate you to be more gracious with someone who holds a different conviction than you do. Lon says, remind me, are the weaker, stronger items delineated so as to distinguish them from true sinful items? They're not. Uh, they're not. So that's, again, where we have to, have to think carefully. When we see uh, things like we saw earlier in uh, chapter 13, when we see lists of things like sexual promiscuity and causing strife among brothers and those sorts of things, those that are called out as sin, then of course those are on the list that don't, don't uh, deal with weaker, stronger brother issues. Those are, those are sin and we must all flee from those. These are items that the Bible does not consider sin, but the person coming from a, a different background is struggling to see that they are no longer sin. You can imagine uh, Muslims uh, coming to Christ and having a hard time walking in the, in the freedom of some of these things. Um, 
So yeah, good, good question. So here's the, here's what I think is the then what, because I think Paul gives us the then what. He doesn't bring up uh, the ramifications on Judgment Day. What he says is, knowing that you are going to be held accountable and give a report. I mean, any of you who have worked in a business, if you've had like an annual review, there's some intimidation there, isn't there? There's some motivation. If you know you're going to be reviewed, here's your performance for the last year. And you know that they're honest and they know well what you've done. And if they take it seriously, I mean, I hear stories sometimes it seems like companies don't often take these seriously, but if they take it seriously, even if you're not afraid of getting fired, to go before your boss and have that person examine your work, it's motivating. If you are considering sloughing off <laughs> and you realize, oh, wait, I got to give a report, it's going to motivate you to do this, right? Well, if one of the criteria of uh, evaluation is how do you get along with your coworkers, Do the stakes have to be that you're going to be fired for that to motivate you to get along with your coworkers? I don't think so. For most of us, just knowing that someone's watching and we're going to have a discussion about it can be helpful motivation. I think that's what's going on here. So try to, try to get away from the forgiveness then what stuff and just say, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to give an account for my evaluation of others and my judging others if they disagree with me on these things. I don't want to be found on that day critical and judgmental. Instead, look what he says here. The kingdom of, kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit for he who in these things is serving the Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Again, we looked at this yesterday. God, God's will, this is, this is acceptable to God. He wants you to not be judgmental toward other believers who see these things differently. And men like this, men will approve you. We like peacemakers. We like gracious people. We approve of those who are not harsh and judgmental. And then here's the command. So then, may we pursue the things of peace and the things of building up one another. I was thinking about what Edgar said yesterday. You said that uh, you won't fellowship with people if, there are, uh, if there's alcohol there. I would encourage you to give that further thought. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not your judge. I can't tell you what to do. But the question that rolled around in my mind after I saw your comment yesterday was, is that something? If you don't believe it's sin, and you said that, you said having a drink is not sin. Should we break fellowship with other believers over something we do not believe is sin? 
I think it's a worthwhile question. We are to pursue, notice the active word here, pursue the things of peace and the building up of one another. That's what we are to chase after. So let me ask all of us. If today was the day of reckoning, would the Lord look at your life, let's say the last month or two or six months, would there be many things written down in the book of how you have pursued peace and building up of others? And would there be also a lot of things in the book of where you have condemned and judged other Christians simply because they hold different convictions than you do on some of these things? That's the point. We want the book of our deeds filled with examples of us pursuing peace and building up other Christians. We don't want our book filled with condemning judgmental attitudes. Edgar says, I see your point, but alcohol doesn't bring peace, open doors to problems. That's why I choose not, chose not to. Um, does it open doors for problems for everyone? Again, I, I don't know the whole story. Obviously, you know, I've never talked about this and that's okay. I, I, don't, I don't want to. I'm just... As I look at this admonition to pursue peace in the building up of another, uh, I think we it's worth continuing to think through and see if our convictions need to change on some things. Yeah, and he says here, my experience has a lot to do with it. And that's understandable. I get that. Uh, so I'm just I'm just again, I'm not I'm not judging you. Uh, you have to be fully assured in your own mind. That's what Paul is saying here. But we should always be thinking through what obstacles to fellowship am I placing uh, and what judgmental attitudes am I placing before others. So again, it's not, it's not, uh, I'm just throwing out a general principle. You decide. And, uh, and again, the Lord is your judge, not, not me. Lon says, I find I, Accommodate weaker brothers, but snicker behind their backs. Probably judging, huh? Yeah, probably, probably so. And, that, and sometimes when we do that, we aren't as accommodating as we think. You know what I mean? When, when in, our, uh, in our heart of hearts, we are really kind of judgmental. Probably that comes out in our words and actions more than we realize. It's easy for somebody else to see it. Maybe not so easy for us to see it ourselves. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll come back tomorrow and uh, continue on through chapter 15. Have a great day. Think on these things. See you tomorrow. God bless.